G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Welcome to today's podcast. Today's show, we're interviewing Tim Schmidt, a mixed farmer, hemp grower and president of the Australian Hemp Council from down in Tasmania. I was down in Tassie the other week and I just happened to run into Tim down there at the Hobart Markets and we struck up a conversation, just couldn't stop talking. I really like interesting crops. I love new crops. I love just looking at other options, new industries, and just emerging opportunities. And so I just thought I had to have Tim on the podcast and interview him. And I hope you guys take as much out of this as I did. It's a pretty in-depth show. We talk a lot about the agronomy of the crop, the management of the crop, the marketing of the crop. And the podcast is a fairly lengthy one by comparison. I think it's the longest one that we've put up so far. But we do cover off on a lot of interesting stuff, a lot about the agronomy, the legalities, and also just a few interesting facts, uh, such as using hemp fibre as a lamb feed can increase weight gains by up to 10%. I didn't know that but it was an interesting one that came up in today's show. So sit back and listen in to today's podcast with Tim Schmidt. So I'm here with Tim, Tasmanian farmer and president of the Australian Hemp Council. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the hemp industry? Yeah, thanks, Martin. Look, I've been growing hemp for about 12 years and um, found it a fascinating crop to grow. When you sort of start looking at it, um, you know, it's like an iceberg. You see the top bit, and then when you start looking into it, it's just amazing. Um, uh, our family moved down here about 20 years ago, and um, uh, we've been uh, we bought a farm in 2003 here and um, been operating it. And um, yeah, in about 2012, I started getting interested in hemp. We also run cattle and grow potatoes here. Uh, and uh, my wife Pip, she comes from here originally, um, hence the reason that we sort of ended up here. I, I originally grew up in northern New South Wales, up around your country, Martin. So, um, so I've been lucky to enjoy uh, beautiful country in two parts of Australia. Um, the, the, the hemp is, um, is something that uh, some years ago I was looking uh, I saw an article in the Taz Country, that our local agricultural paper, like the land or the stock and land. And um, it was about a fella over uh, not far from us that was looking at uh, growing hemp and it just had a few details about it. And at the time I was looking at um, some, some cropping options for our country and it, and it sort of looked to suit our country because we have... Um, quite wet winters and our land mostly is low lying and um, <clears throat> takes a while to dry out from the spring and one of the good things about hemp is that you don't have to plant it until um, November around here so that gives us plenty of time to get on the ground. I'd, I'd tried growing poppies in the past and, uh, and other crops and I've had uh, not much success simply because um, like if you planted sometime in the winter or whatever it just gets waterlogged and dies and that's one of the things that hemp really can't stand is waterlogging along with um, compaction 
So uh, that's why um, at, at looking at the crop, I thought, well, geez, you know, she's she suits our system, and and there's a lot of um, other uh, operators in Tasmania that have found that it makes a really good fit in their farming rotation, and that's one of the um, positive aspects of it because it's not a um, you know you don't make your uh, well, unless you're one of the better farmers uh, you don't make your you know your five thousand dollars a hectare it's a gross margin it's 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 more modest but it is definitely competitive um, but it's got other aspects of the crop that make it uh, attractive to grow and um, and and the thing that crosses my mind is uh, if you're a grower looking at different options and looking to innovate a little bit it's definitely worthwhile looking to get into the hemp um, not so much because of the immediate uh, returns that you might make in the first year or anything like that. Uh, the reason is because it's going to be uh, a major uh, component of Australian agriculture in the, in the coming years. And now's the time to get a handle on how to grow it because it does take a bit of knowledge. Um, it's not the most difficult crop to grow. In fact, it's, it's pretty easy. But you've got to know what you're doing, and uh, with hemp, there's some few characteristics about it that uh, if you uh, slip up, then you're in trouble. Um, you, you've got to keep your eye on the ball. There's a couple of basic things you've got to do, and if you if you get lackadaisical about it or something, um, sort of not unlike other crops, you've got to treat it as as with respect and um, in timeliness and and understanding. Uh, and then uh, it is an easy crop to grow, but you've got to know what you're doing. So you, you sort of alluded there, to it a bit earlier, that it is a growing market. What, what is the market like at the moment? And I guess with, with the hemp plant, you've got your, your two main commodities, your, your seed and your actual fibre. Yeah, what are they like as, as markets at the moment? Well, you sort of open a can of worms there, Martin, because um, the hemp industry is uh, is an extraordinary thing that's um, just in the early phases of development. And to give your listeners a bit of an understanding, uh, is divide the hemp um, components into food, fibre, fodder, and extracts. So there's massive industries in all four of those sections. <clears throat> just to start off with food, which is the um, focus of the Tasmanian industry, mate. Um, almost all um, crops grown in Tasmania are grown for uh, seed, for food. And Tasmania in the past has uh, supplied up to 80% of Australia's um, uh, seed food re requirements, markets. And um, it's, uh, it's been, that's been the case for some time. So uh, Tasmania has been uh, able to set up infrastructure and and it's got agronomists and farmers that know what they're doing so the food is uh, divided into uh, mostly seed and um, uh, sorry yeah seed and oil and then um, certain components of the seed can be uh, made into protein powder or flour and things like that and then it's it, it, as an additive to food it's quite. It can get. It can go into many different aspects of food. The fibre is uh, really interesting because um, you've got the bast 
which is the outside of the uh, stalk, which is basically the fibre. Um, and then you've got the herd, which is the chalky inside of the stalk. And the herd is what they call short fibres. Um, so the bastard, the outside section is um, used to make clothes um, and materials. And a lot of people are familiar with that. Usually when you mention hemp, um, people or industrial hemp, people will think oh, um, clothes, uh, material, clothes, ropes, whatever. Um, the herd, the inside component um, has an amazing material. It's um, probably the best known use for it. Uh, well, in Australia at least, is for hempcrete for building houses, which is um, uh, uh, fire resistant, high capacity for insulation, um, doesn't hold mould, you know, it's a perfect material for housing. Uh, and it's a filler, it's not a structural thing. It's um, you have your house skeleton and then you have the wall filler, which is the hempcrete. And it basically it's just the herd mixed with uh, sand and lime and a bonding agent. So uh, it's, it's, it's been, and that's a growing market here. Like sort of six years ago, there was about, you know, three hemp houses in Australia. And now there's probably getting up to around 300, I reckon. Um, and uh, that's, that's an emerging market. There's a lot of interest in that. But the herd also is used for carbon fiber um, placement in, um, uh, in different, products, um, they're looking to use it in uh, electronical uh, equipment. Um, it's used in recycling so that uh, you reduce the plastic, the, the percentage of plastic in a recycl recyclable uh, component uh, with hemp and then that enhances the environmental um, values uh, of that component. Um, there's lots and lots of other different applications I was recently at a, a conference in New Zealand, mind you, where they, uh, where the government supports the New Zealand industry far more than Australia does on a per, cap, per capita basis. But um, uh, they're doing some amazing uh, research there in utilising the um, uh, herd component of the hemp plant in many innovative um, areas that are. Um, will be addressing emerging markets. Then you've got the fodder component. And in Australia, there's been groundbreaking uh, research done uh, in Western Australia and Tasmania relating to uh, fodder utilisation uh, of hemp in livestock. And they've actually found that um, <clears throat> the straw component can actually uh, mix with other um, uh, foods for the uh, these sheep who are doing the trial on sheep has actually <clears throat> increased weight gains by 10%. They're not entirely sure why, but there's something about what's in the hemp fiber, hemp herd that uh, actually stimulates better uh, livestock growth. This is groundbreaking research. This is world first research, by, by the way, that's been undertaken and supported by agri-futures in Australia. So there's, um, <clears throat> there's an opportunity for uh, not only cropping, but um, uh, you know, cropping livestock enterprises um, that can uh, take advantage of uh, hemp production. And then you get into the extracts. Well, that's um, terpenes and cannabinoids, uh, which are present in the leaf mostly. And uh, the cannabinoids uh, are in the form of 
uh, a resin on, on, on the leaf. And there's about 105 different cannabinoids and, and also terpenes as well. And uh, these products that are extracted from the leaf, um, you know, one of them is THC that gets you high. And in industrial hemp, there is so little THC that it's just not an issue. But there's many other products that are um, extracted from the leaf um, that like natural preservatives, there's things for um, beauty products, there's um, essential oils. It, it's, there's a huge range of things that can be extracted and utilized from the plant uh, in the form of extracts um, that, that, of which there are emerging, huge emerging markets, global markets um, emerging in it throughout the world that Australia might have the um, opportunity to address. Um, if given the, if given the chance, um, but by utilising the extracts from the plant. So uh, you ask about markets. Well, um, just getting back to grain, uh, we've we've noted a, a round about a ten percent plus uh, growth market growth in Australia of um, hemp seed consumption. That's on the domestic market. I have to tell you that um, uh, it is. Uh, Australian production costs are generally higher than other uh, countries, in particular Canada and China. And, and part of the reason of that is because of legislative controls in Australia, but also because it's only since 2017, November 2017, since you've been able to sell food as, uh, for human consumption in Australia legally. And so... They've had the handcuffs on the industry. Um, Canada made these changes 20 years ago and they've got a billion dollar industry there now and they're terribly efficient at producing hemp food and fibre. And Australia has just been held back terribly um, by legislative controls. And so that's what's contributed to the um, extra costs in production. But um, what we do have... Uh, is a magnificent environment for producing hemp. And we've got fantastic researchers that are really keen to learn. And we've got farmers that know, you know, know that know how to farm. So we're playing catch up at the moment and, um, and production costs uh, are pretty sort of um, standard. Uh, it, it's not a huge, it doesn't have huge inputs, but the key driver for profit in hemp, particularly in seed, um, is is yield and in Tasmania we've had some fantastic yield gains and and always draw uh, comparisons to the canola industry where they you know when it first started off it was doing about 800 700 kilos a hectare and now you get three four ton to the hectare mm. production and that's through research and development and um, I, I see hemp you know like Australia because of um, the components that we got you know, the knowledge and, and abilities, I can see that that can happen in, in hemp. And that's the key thing that will make us more competitive. So um, getting back to your questions on production and yield, there's there's been, uh, to, I, I'll talk about the seed industry because that's what I know best. Yep. Um, but uh, with the uh, seed production, like when it was legalised in uh, 2017 to sell us food uh, 
there was a big, big jump in production. The companies um, put out contracts. And so it went from about 800 hectares, uh, sorry, 300 hectares to 800 to um, uh, 1,200 to 1,400 respectively um, over the years. And, and then uh, there was all of a sudden they say, well, gee, there's a big oversupply. The, um, yeah, so production had doubled um, year on year for about three or so years, and, and yet the uh, consumption is only going up around about 10%. Uh, I don't doubt that consumption will continue to rise, and uh, the, the, the percentage, it's 10% of a bigger, a bigger amount every year. And um, so, so currently there's an oversupply of seed in the system. The, Areas have come back since that that time. They've come back to about a thousand, and then last this last season's about eight hundred. And and I, I think there might be a similar area this coming season. But um, the point being that um, uh, supply has got to match up with demand, uh, but demand is growing. Um, and I think we're sort of around uh, yeah the, the the overall national crop is around four thousand hectares, I think. Um, and only about 3% of the crop this last season was fibre. Just getting on to fibre, um, because it's, it's, it's a major, it is a major um, area that's going to grow. Uh, there's, there's people all over Australia that are just um, like a dog with a bone. They got onto this fibre thing and they're just, they're going to make it work. Part of the problem with the fibre industry is, it requires a huge injection of capital to obtain commercial scale. Um, you know, places in Europe and <clears throat> North America, they've done that and uh, they, they're making it work. And, and so in Australia, there's, I mean, it was done by Ecofiber <clears throat> some years ago. They had a decortication facility in the Hunter Valley and they were producing uh, fiber products like um, pet bedding and and uh, they were, were focusing mostly on pet bedding and, and hempcrete and things like that. Um, with the um, bast fibre, the long fibres, um, there's just no um, uh, infrastructure for processing it into material. And part of what's keeping a cap on it is that it's cheaper to buy stuff from China, um, much cheaper than to spend your... 10 or $15 million to set up a, an industry here. So that's that's sort of what's been holding it back is that big capital jump and, and lack of confidence in the, um, uh, you know, for the investor lack of confidence, which is understandable because it's a whole new area. You go to a bank and you ask for $10 million and on not much security uh, to break into an industry that's completely in Australia, untested. <clears throat> Not to mention that the market is 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 uh, not really developed to any degree. Well, then <clears throat> you're not going to get the money. So that's part of the problem with the industry here. There's a bit and, of work being uh, for, done though with cotton gins, isn't there? Looking to use them in the off season to help process the fibre. I think one of the gins on the Liverpool Plains is looking at something there. Absolutely, and this is this is why. This is part of what I was mentioning is all over the country, there's stuff happening and really positive stuff. 
And that is one of them. They, uh, recent reports um, of some of the work that they've done there, they've found some pretty, pretty encouraging results. But it's all part of bringing the whole thing together because um, to get the fibre in the form that it can be used in the gin needs to go through a proper um, decortication process and to decorticate efficiently or commercially vi viable in a commercial sense, you really need your $10 million investment to get the proper um, infrastructure set up to produce that. Um, so uh, this, uh, that just reminds me that uh, there is a lot of work happening. There's uh, Western Australia, there's uh, I think the Hemp Masonry Company, uh, they've got the old decorticator from the hunter and they've got it set up and they're actually uh, processing, uh, it's a building company and they're actually processing their local material to build hemp houses in Western Australia. So they're, they're up and running and they're doing it commercially. So it's happening. Um, there's also a um, very, uh, there's a decortication um, uh, small decorticator machine in Tasmania here, which is producing, uh, utilising the um, uh, the cropping residue from the seed crops uh, to produce herd, which has been used for, for building products in Tasmania. So uh, it's been done here. There's another machine like that up in uh, northern New South Wales. Um, and there's there's a number of, you know, I, I talked to lots of people in the industry and um, there's a number of companies that are looking uh, very closely at, at the uh, fibre component of the industry and looking to develop it. And, and that decortication, uh, sorry, the, the, the marrying up with the ginning system in the cotton industry is, is, is a fantastic development because, you know, some people might say, oh, you know, cotton's a great competitor of hemp. Well, that's not the case at all. Hemp can really benefit uh, in partnerships with the cotton industry, and it is happening right now. And I think it can be good for both industries, absolutely, because um, uh, from the cotton aspect, well, they just cotton, cotton, cotton. Well, uh, hemp provides a great opportunity as a break crop for their cotton country, which is, you know, that's just good for everyone. Mm. And they can also utilise the ginning facilities off-season. So... There's a lot of lot of um, advantages for with the two industries working together, um, and and also it will help enhance cotton's um, sustainability profile working with hemp. Um, so it's a win-win situation in that in that case. Yeah, I haven't actually asked Karen about it, but if it's a um, if it's a good break crop for verticillium wilt, if it's not a host plant, then um... Yeah, then that, they'll be under a real winner there because uh, particularly if they can use those cotton gins to process the hemp as well, you can you can keep that infrastructure active and um, have some real agronomic benefits there. Yeah, like it's um, it's a great example of um, uh, an advantage for the cotton industry, but a huge advantage for the hemp industry. And and why not why not work in with the hemp industry because it is. It is going to be massive. Um, just to just to mention, uh, sort of in line, um, the Australian Hemp has um, headed up a consortium of um, researchers and agronomists, and um, there's a small team of about 
um, six or eight of us um, that have put in an application uh, to AgriFutures to put together a best management practice manual. Um, we've got uh, Stuart Gordon from the CSIRO heading the project, who's incredibly competent and experienced in the, in the hemp industry in Australia, and research and so on. And then there's um, uh, Rob Eccles uh, the, managing the grain component and Bob Doyle managing the fibre component. And then we've got a team uh, further under us that um, of experts that know what that have already written manuals for the industry, but this one's going to be a, a go-to book for any growers that are interested. They're thinking, well, what, how the hell do I grow hemp? Well, you get the book and you give it to your agronomist and he reads it and then uh, hopefully you'll be able to make a success on your first crop. But there's, this is going to be a fairly comprehensive document covering both fibre and seed production. And uh, there's, there's many aspects in it that uh, will standardise and give a, a clear understanding of how uh, to go ahead in producing a crop. And it's what's the industry needed. Um, so we'll find out in a few, in a, in a couple of months, whether we're successful. I think the project is due to be, uh, uh, due to begin and finish um, fairly quickly and, and by the end of this year we'll have a document uh, for the industry. So this is this is what so for your listeners that are interested in hemp, um, this is coming up so that there is a go-to book on how to um, you know make sure that you grow hemp successfully if you're interested in it. So which which probably leads us into well how how do you grow hemp? Like what do I need? What what soil type does it like? Can I grow a dry land crop? Do I need irrigation? I guess, yeah, just, just the basics of how do you grow a hemp crop? Well, the first thing to, to understand is that it depends where you are in the country and um, uh, hemp is sensitive to latitude. Uh, there's varieties that will grow down here that won't grow up north and, and vice versa. There's some fantastic, really energetic Chinese varieties that will grow well up in Queensland. It's uh, so so. There's it's not just a really simple thing. I can talk pretty easily about um, production in Tasmania because I'm so familiar with it. I'll just run through some parameters there, and I, I think it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, hemp will not tolerate waterlogging, and it doesn't like compaction. So they're the two things. If you've got a heavy black clay that's had potato trucks running over it you're not gonna have a lot of success. You gotta make sure that um, there's been some deep ripping and stuff like that. Um, the basic program that we work through here is um, uh, we try and plant around the 20th of November. That's our kickoff date. Uh, we sow at about 35 um, kilos per hectare. And mind you, that sowing rate varies with different varieties in different locations. Um, so this is going to be the great thing about the manual that we're sort of going to work on. Um, we're, we're looking for about 100 and I think it's about 100, between 100 and 150 plants per square metre. And um, with weed control, uh, you just do a burnout beforehand. Uh, in, in our particular operation here, we're going to try and grow 
crop this coming season without using any uh, chemical sprays. Um, but using the chemical sprays mate, does make it easy. Um, there's uh, an application, burn out of glyphosate, um, and then you uh, plant your crop. Um, we recommend that you plant under irrigation here in Tassie, but um, there is work to be done for dry land. I think on, on the mainland in broadacre uh, um, areas, there's certainly potential. I know some broadacre dry land crops in New South Wales um, went reasonably well this year. I think it was all, all northern Victoria, um, which, you know, given that the drought's broken and everything is, um, uh, is promising. Anyway, you, you get your plant up to probably the four leaf um, seedling and um, you've got an opportunity to use bromicide um, that we put on to control the broadleafs. Uh, the reason, like here in Tassie, we're pretty lucky. See, bromicide has a bit of a temperature uh, cap on it. If you spray hemp over 25 degrees, then you're looking to have some severe leaf burning. The hemp does, does recover from it, but it does check it significantly. And if the temperature is like on the mainland, it could potentially be up to 30 degrees plus. Well, then you're probably going to get some serious damage to your crop. Here in Tassie, we try uh, keep, like if you spray at 20 degrees, uh, you're laughing and um, you see very little effect on the crop and a really good cleanup of the broadleafs. And then you've got um, the option for, if you've got a grass seed issue, which we don't hear because it's in a cropping rotation, but um, after potatoes, but if you've got a grass issue, you've got the option of verdict. Um, so there's those, and, that, and that's pretty much it. If, once you um, hit the weeds, as long as you've got the right plant density um, and you hit those weeds um, at the early enough stage, you'll have a very clean crop. The, um, there is a variation in um, how the weed control does work though, depending on the variety. There's some short varieties um, like um, Katanning uh, that, that They've grown down here. Some of them are in the trials, actually, the, the national industrial hemp variety trials that we've got going. And um, uh, Phenola is another one. They don't um, do the canopy cover as effectively as some of the other varieties. And so um, weed suppression is not as effective. Um, it's still possible, but not as, as effective. Um, <clears throat> if you've got a variety like um, CRS1, which um, uh, that, that I grow. Um, there's another one developed by uh, Ananda Foods, which is called Excalibur. Uh, it's, it's a very vigorous variety. And then there's some of your fibre varieties that will grow quite tall quite quickly. They all do manage to establish um, very effective canopy cover uh, that will keep your weed suppressed without any trouble at all. So uh, as long as you seed um, density is right. If you've got low seed density, well, then you this is one of the things, really important things in growing hemp. You've got to make sure you've got your right population, otherwise you're buggered. You can have fat in, uh, contaminating your seed. Um, uh, there's, there's other, um, amaranthus is a real problem. 
Uh, so you've just got to be right on top of these sort of things uh, in, in growing it. So it's about a 120-day crop. And uh, we, just, um, we just have a – we don't over-fertilise it right at the start. I think we have a couple of 250 kilos of NPK with some – we put a bit of – throw a bit of um, uh, boron in it and uh, maybe some moly and zinc. Uh, you know, this is a whole area that where the research needs to be done to understand about the uh, nutrition requirements of the crop. So you, you throw in that little bit of fertiliser and, um, and then uh, one thing about hemp is that it's a ferocious consumer of nitrogen. Uh, so we have probably, uh, in addition to sowing, we have another two applications. Usually we put on urea at one point and then we might do a foliar spray that includes a component of nitrogen and some um, trace elements with boron etc in it to to help um, cover that nutrition profile of the crop and <clears throat> one thing the crop gets to a certain point where you just don't really want to be in there uh, knocking it down and and um, a, a, an opportunity or a strategy that growers down here have been developing is um, you know fertigation through irrigation pivots and um, that's been quite effective so you get to, um, so we've planted in November. <clears throat> the second week of January, we start getting warm weather and bang, away she goes. It just, you turn your back and it's another two inches higher. And it's just amazing how fast it grows. And you get towards the end of January and then we've got Heliothus, which is probably the most single most serious pest uh, for hemp in Australia. And of course it's a cotton uh, issue as well. Oh, it's now, an everything issue. Um, yeah, true, <laughs> true. So, um, so the th so dealing with heliothus is a real um, uh, is something that there's been a fair bit of focus on. And growers down here in Tassie have really, um, you know, tried some different things. Agronomists have been onto it, and we've come up with um, you can use your SPs, but we've got um, a midra that comes from the mainland and punctigera, which is a local one, uh, Heliothus moth. The punctigera is not resistant to any of the SPs, um, well, up to now at least, and easily controlled with that uh, cheap option. But um, the amidra uh, generally is hardened by, has been beaten up that much by Victorian growers that it's toughened up and comes over here and, and annoys the hell out of us. So so far, it's you know it's a lot like any other crop. You, you've got your things you gotta you watch, maintain, make sure it's fed, make sure it's you know you, you you're not uh, choked out with weeds or um or overrun by grubs. Um, what about harvest and and post harvest management? I've worked a bit with crops like linseed. You know that they're also a fairly ropey crop. So I I imagine if you're just harvesting the um the, the seed out of the hemp crop, you've probably got a bit of a, a fibre issue there in the paddock, which may cause some issues going forward. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> uh, that's been a, a bit of a contentious issue here in Tassie. Uh, the growers have found it difficult to deal with the residue and, and there's been a small industry where set up where they'll um, exempt 
which is a processing facility producing uh, hempcrete for the building industry, uh, will pay for the cost of extracting the herd from the paddock. So basically after the harvest has gone through, I'll windrow the crop and, you know, uh, in the early days, people really didn't know what they were doing and there was all sorts of problems. <laughs> One of my neighbours, he said, oh, I tried to bale it with my round baler, but when this, after I went about 50 metres, I thought I'd better stop when the smoke was coming out of it. So, you know, there's, uh, there's, there are round balers that can handle it, but not many um, have to be a little bit specialised. But uh, uh, we use a big square baler, and that's, um, and again, you've got to have the right sort. But um, uh, many of the growers uh, have the, up till now, have had the practice of wind drying it and then just burning it. And it does burn really well, but um, that's a labour intensive job. Um, this small business that started up here in Tassie, well, they'll actually pay for the extraction of it and the growers are happy with that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, as the industry develops, there will be more value built into the residue. Um, uh, there's another grower, um, one of our um, most experienced and uh, I guess knowledgeable growers, he's got a particular sort of drill that can drill straight into the stubble, which is a little bit unique. Um, and he's right on top of stuff. So there's ways of dealing with it uh, quite effectively. Uh, I just wanted to um, jump back to the, the Heliothus just for a minute. Yeah. Um, with the, yeah, just, I just wanted to cap off on that. Um, in Tasmania here, we've been uh, utilising uh, the likes of Dipel and um, which is, I think, common on the mainland, and another product called Virus Max, which is a virus for the Heliothus. And there's, uh, there is another one that uh, I believe you've, Zero uh, X, uh, that uh, you've alerted me to. Yeah, um, yeah, that's but, um, work with that one in my day job a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I was talking with Rob Eccles about it. Too. I think he's been in touch with you about that. And it's certainly something that the, the industry needs to look at as an option. But uh, but anyway, the, these growers and agronomists, uh, they've been working with um, particularly Vivus Max in the control of Heliothus, and, and it's one of my favourites. I use it myself. Um, the, the big deal about that is that um, you're not using a uh, – you're using a biological, not a synthetic chemical that you're spraying on the seed not long before it's harvested. So, uh, and control seems to be quite effective. And, you know, there's at least a, there's a, up to 20% plus uh, yield penalties for um, poor heliothus control, even even bigger than that. So, uh, so it's been a really important development for the industry and, and managing the crop. I'd imagine Vibus um, would work very similar in hemp as it does to sorghum you'd get that sick grub climb to the top of the plant and then as the grub dies there at the top of the plant it then covers the the rest of the seed head there with the um with the virus so any grub that lands on it then gets infected um i'll, I'll yeah, imagine look, it works. part of the problem yeah yeah it, uh, it's it, that that is um an aspect but um part of the problem with hemp is that it's got a um uh, fairly uh, enclosed um, cluster of seed head. And so there's to, to get, um, you know, virus max penetration, you need a pretty good water application. And that's an advantage of the, 
pivot rather than running a boom over it at 200 litres and knocking out down a heap of hemp and um, uh, particularly the taller hemp. Um, and when you get into the fibre um, varieties, well, you're just not even getting a boom, uh, even getting a pivot over it is, is a challenge because it, get, it gets up to 15 foot or three metres high. Um, and then, yeah, harvesting that is a completely different um, uh, game uh, for, the, for the growers. Uh, there's actually this machine, but I've seen it. I went to, I called in a, a hemp farm in Romania, which is owned by a family from Netherlands, yeah, Hemp Flax, Mark Rinders. Anyway, um, they've got a full-on decortication facility there and they developed this harvester. This is for fibre, but, and this is an aspect of hemp that's really important for people to understand, is what they've done is that they've built this machine uh, with the help of engineers from John Deere and they've got a double fronted header. And so what happens is that this is just understanding this is for a fiber crop, uh, not a seed crop, but you've got a 15 foot or three meter high crop that you're dealing with and you're running this header through. So there's a cutter bar down the bottom, which is actually cutting the stalk and, and, and these stalks are quite thick, um, you know, uh, almost as thick as banana. And which is good because they contain a lot of herd and fiber. And so uh, it's cutting the, um, at ground level, the, the stalks, and then about two meters. And then there's another front um, at two meter mark. And that's like your regular header front, that's collecting, um, depending on the time of, of harvesting, it'll be, say, if it's gone the full cycle, it'll collect the seed leaf and the seed from the heads and so you're getting uh that that'll that'll go move through the header like a regular say rotary header or whatever drum header and um and then the stalk is left as if it's been windrowed um and there'll be two meter stalks perfect for putting through the decorticator so the uh, seed and the leaf will go back through the machine and then the leaf is not thrown out on the ground it is somehow separated in the header and goes on a little elevator and travels over to a trailer that's trailing behind the header. And then the seed goes in the seed hopper. So you're getting three, um, uh, three components of the crop collected in one go. And then the leaf goes off to be extracted, to have CBD extracted or whatever. And then the seed for seed crop and, and then you've got your fiber. So this is a, this is, this is the whole characteristic of hemp is that, and, and this is what we talk about is whole of plant, plant use. Um, so <clears throat> it's a really important aspect for people to understand that we're not just talking about uh, one thing. You can specialize in different parts of the plant, but um, there is a myriad of um, opportunities in uh, extracting stuff from the plant, which is important for legislators to understand so that the, farmers can make the most of the crop i've just looked up some pictures of um, that header it is a um it is a interesting bit of gear and we'll definitely be putting pictures of that up on on the facebook page and the instagram if people want to check that one out yeah it's amazing it is amazing yeah uh, just as an aside the story to that um mark Rinders went to he used to use case headers and he asked them if they could help him 
with the engineering or whatever. And they said, oh, no, it's too hard. And um, he went to John Deere and they said, yeah, we'll get our guys onto it. So, you know, that's a whole, <laughs> you know, attitude towards innovation and, and opportunity. That's what it's about. Um, now John Deere's got the lead in the market and I'm sure they'll be selling a few. They're not cheap. I can't imagine. A few around the world. <laughs> it looks like I've got a fair bit of gear bolted on there, plus it's painted green, so yeah. it, it wouldn't be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So, um, so that, yeah, so that sort of gives you a, an idea. Um, uh, in developing the, the national fibre crop, the reason it's so small is it's not only the deportation, but it's also the harvesting infrastructure that you've got to have. And, look, there's been... Uh, uh, amazing guys. There's some really innovative Australians. Um, there's guys up at Tamworth, um, uh, guys down in uh, Barnum. Uh, there's another fellow over at Mildura, I think. Um, <clears throat> they're all having a bit of a crack at it and they're sort of they're backyard engineers and they're creating these um, machines that in some ways are you know, quite innovative and could be uh, you know, a big step ahead, but but the point is that there's all this development that needs to occur or investment for the fibre industry to really take off. That does truly have um, amazing potential for the Australian agriculture. It's certainly a, a growing industry, and I guess talking on, on some of that that harvesting stuff. When I actually caught up with Rob Eccles um, at a crop there just uh, on the Queensland border. And I was talking to the grower there and they mentioned that the seed has to go into cold storage after harvest. Is, is that right? Or is that just because we're in a bit of a warmer climate? Um, and yeah, it's just well, it struck me as a real logistical issue, that one. Yeah, yeah, no, it is a logistical issue. But look, there's a few points about that. And that is right. Um, if you want to have a quality product, um, then these are the sort of things you've got to do. But You've got to understand that um, hemp seed is uh, incredibly rich in oil. It's 30% plus. And, um, and that's one of the health benefits of it. It's got omega-3, 6 and 9s and gamma-leonic acid and all sorts of stuff in there that puts it heads and shoulders above the other uh, oil, seed oils. But uh, being 30% component of the seed, it, is, um, it, it has the potential to go rancid and... Um, uh, so part of the problem there is um, making sure that you maintain a good quality product. And this is what gives the domestic market an advantage over, say, Canadian product. Um, some of that imported stuff, it tastes like crap. And, um, and the, particularly the Tasmanian products um, are of much better quality because of um, that's one of the reasons. So... Um, uh, it's 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 an advantage if you can, and it, it, it can be at expense, is to uh, store your seed in, um, uh, uh, you know, around two degrees or whatever. And um, as I learned the other day, um, for oil production, uh, the industry standard is to dry down to 9%, but uh, I've got advice that um, it, somewhere just above 7% is probably more appropriate to maintain seed and oil quality. Um, so there's another uh, issue which is really important for 
um, hemp producers to understand from the seed at least, is that if you're harvesting a crop and um, a characteristic of hemp is that um, it doesn't, the whole head doesn't um, ripen at once, like it might for barley or wheat, uh, it'll ripen in stages. And so you've just got to pick your sweet spot. And so you're going to get some, some seed that's uh, still green and you'll still have green matter in the crop, in the sample. And your moisture typically, maybe a dry land crop in, in at Horsham or something like that would be uh, low enough in moisture. But um, around here, your typical moisture uh, percentage would be around 15%. And it's absolutely critical that uh, that crop, that seed gets dried as soon as possible and, and hopefully in the dryer that evening that this is a really important factor for, it has such a huge impact on quality of product. And um, this is a thing, it's, you're getting $3,000 a tonne or whatever. It's not like your, you know, $250 a tonne barley crop. It's a specialist thing and you've got to treat it with respect and, and be particular about how you look after it to maintain that quality. Because if you, um, slip up on those aspects, then you know your product's no better than the um, Canadian product that you can buy for a 30% cost. So it's really important to maintain that quality and that's a, that's something to focus on. But So in answer to your question, yes, cold storage is helpful. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about the logistics when I was out there and I just... I. Oh, he, he thought he was going to get about 25 tonne out of the paddock and I was just wondering where, where you find 25 tonne worth of cold storage. But, um, I mean, that's farming in general, isn't it? If it's not mm. bulk handling grain, it's trying to find cold storage or line up cattle trucks or, yeah, I, I wish I could spend more time yeah. growing the trop, crop and not worrying about logistics and marketing and all that other stuff. But yeah. I guess that's farming. Yeah. It'd be the same well, with potatoes know, as well. I mean, you know, there's always opportunity for communities to put together co-ops that can help with those kind of issues. And, um, you know, saying that it's got to go into cold storage, it doesn't, the, the grain doesn't have to go straight into cold storage straight away. But the most important thing is to get the moisture right. And then, it, you know, it can be stored as long as it's not in 40 degrees or something like that. But but for the long term, I mean, the seed that I produce uh, from like, last year, um, I've had in cold storage, but I'm very uh, conscious of maintaining quality of product. Well, which, as you said, that's important. That's what sets you apart from the rest. Good. And so are there any legal requirements with, I mean, as you said, they, they didn't even legalise the grain until... 2017, I think you mentioned. Um, are there any other requirements? You've, I've, I've looked at growing poppies in the past, and as they're not short of regulations. Um, yeah, well, well, if you, I mean, <clears throat> this is the thing, and and this is probably why the bureaucrats and government down here is so much more relaxed because we've been growing poppies here for 20 or 30 years, probably yeah, about 30 years, and. Um, uh, it's a it's a dangerous drug, and um, yeah. Uh, yet industrial hemp, industrial hemp compared is just like uh, crop linseed. You know, 
yet uh, there's all sorts of reg rules and regulations. Um, just to give you a bit of an idea of the legislative kind of uh, landscape, um, there's most of the states, except for Victoria, have uh, industrial hemp legislated as being uh, one less than 1% THC. Now, for your listeners to understand, um, you will not get any response, any psychoactive effect from uh, any kind of hemp unless it's well over 3% THC. So you can smoke industrial hemp all day and get just get a sore throat. Um, that's the first thing to understand. But uh, Victoria has been slow on the uptake and they've still only got 0.35% um, as the maximum legislated level uh, of THC allowable in hemp. Um, uh, general rule of thumb uh, globally, most countries are around that 0.3%. Australia's at least got 1%, <clears throat> which is a sensible level um, for their THC, uh, maximum THC levels in industrial hemp. So, so Victoria's got legislation pending, but they just can't get their act together yet. Um, it's slow on the uptake. And um, uh, in terms of legislation structure, uh, Queensland is the only state that still has it under misuse of drugs legislation. Uh, every other state um, and the Northern Territory have specific hemp legislation, which is good. Um, and Queensland, again, is slow on the uptake. But um, it just uh, it's good for Tasmania because it gives us a, um, a, a better legislative environment to be more competitive nationally. Uh, but we would like to see them change the, the other states come in line. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, it's pretty pretty much standard. Uh, there is a group of regulators that meet twice a year that um, <clears throat> would love to see much more alignment of legislations. But basically, um, and, and Tasmania is pretty good for it, you just got to get yourself a, a hemp license and that means that you've got to have a police check to make sure you haven't been dealing drugs for the last five years whatever um <clears throat> speeding tickets don't matter <laughs> thank goodness and um and um, you're not sure uh, the cameras so, in tasmania either <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so um that's about a five-year uh license and i'm not fully up to speed with all the other legislation, but I think they're very similar. So you get your license for five years and then you have an annual intent to grow uh, application that you've got to fill out. And in Tasmania, there is no charge for all of this. Um, the, um, the government is, we've got amazing support for the industry down here, which is just, and that's one of the reasons why we've got such a strong industry. There's a number of reasons, but that's one of them. And, um, so uh, basically, uh, that's all you've got to do. Uh, there's um, certain restrictions or requirements. Um, you've got to show that you can store the seed effectively. <clears throat> and um, uh, uh, you're not to let the seed get into anyone's hands that you can't sell the whole seed, you know, viable seed to anyone that doesn't have a license. So. It's there's there's good structures in there to you know maintain the integrity of the industry, 
one thing that is a bugbear down here is that um, the police have deemed it um, uh, not good practice to let uh, mulch, you know, the residue, bale up residue off your farm because there might be some leaf, for goodness sake, with no THC in it that someone can roll up and puff away on. Um, or uh, seed, uh, that uh, viable seed that might get off the property. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is just a, like, they're worried that a non-drug seed might germinate somewhere and, and uh, potentially endanger some of, some of the community. I don't know how that works, but um, that's, uh, that's one of the quirks that we're working on with um, the legislative review down here. But, um, uh, but all in all, uh, it's pretty straightforward pro process down here in Tasmania. I know some of the other states like Queensland are just, um, uh, particularly the, the police department, um, are only focused on um, the um, one part of the industry that, um, that, that really um, precludes them from understanding that the concept of industrial hemp as a regular crop with lots of opportunities for farmers. And so they might make it a bit tougher up there. But um, yeah, as far as legal requirements in Tasmania go, as long as you've police records okay and you just go through the process, it's, it's, it's no big deal. Um, it's the, the, the bureaucrats and the government down here have uh, made it as easy as they can and it works well. Oh, that's good. It's good to see that you're getting um, a lot of government support down there because um, agriculture as a whole, it <clears throat> sometimes feels like it's, it's lacking the love from the, from the fellas down in Canberra, mm. but um, yeah, no, that's, that's good. So um, yeah. Um, I guess, is there anything else you, you want to add that, seems like it's it's an industry with a lot of upside it's an industry that's definitely growing um and the the research work is being done um it looks like there's a still a fair bit to go there but that'll that'll come in time um yeah was there anything else you you wanted to add well i'll just um <clears throat> make some points so as I mentioned before, um, Canada changed their legislation many years, 20 years ago, and they've got a billion dollar industry there. Um, there's billion dollar markets emerging for some of the extracts, and I'm not talking about THC, but I'm talking about uh, what you'd call non-drug uh, components of the plant that um, are beneficial for the community. Um, huge markets emerging there. Uh, that we need to be able to take advantage of. Um, the, um, the, the, there's sort of the main constraints at the moment is um, lack of investment, and that's due to lack of confidence because of lack of research. That's been addressed as, to, to the, as far as they can by AgriFutures, um, the old RIDC, um, and they've, uh, they've, they've started, they've identified um, hemp is a major emerging industry and they're really supporting the industry as much as they can at the moment with the resources they've got um, and we've uh, seen some action in that area but sort of you know we're starting from way 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 back but um, 
but at least there's been progress made in that area. Um, Acknowledgement from uh, investors um, is occurring, and um, that's you know that's a process that as knowledge develops, then um, then confidence will develop, and 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 then investment. But uh, the the single most important aspect for the industry that needs to change is the change in legislation, in federal legislation. It needs to be considered industrial hemp needs to be considered just a regular crop with regular regulations. And none of this buddy, um, uh, you know, drug hype that they go on with, like people just need to understand that um, the THC component or the, the marijuana component is just a tiny, tiny part of the industry. Uh, wake up and see what's going to happen. Uh, get yourself educated so that you can uh, see that there's some amazing opportunities that we really need to grab hold of. And to be able to do that, there has to be legislative change. There needs to be an opening up of the industry, controlling the extracts, um, telling people that they've got to have six foot um, fences around the facility and they can't grow, they've got to grow it in a greenhouse. They can't grow it out on the paddock because of security. Security for what? So that um, um, there's, there's nothing dangerous in it at all. Um, all the THC stuff is done in the uh, greenhouses and things. Um, uh, yeah, there's just too much regulation, too much control. Uh, they need to let the growers get hold of it and uh, work with the researchers and um, start addressing these markets with products that are totally harmless for uh, the community. Um, they need to make the distinction between marijuana and industrial hemp and uh, understand that we need to take hold of these opportunities. So yes, there needs to be a change in legislation to allow uh, more confidence in investment and uh, be able to learn how to address these emerging global markets. We're in a magnificent position to be able to do this. Um, so um, that's probably the key message, I, I guess, Martin. Uh, those changes need to occur so that uh, Australian farmers can really get on this um, show and uh, start producing some really good products from the hemp plant uh, to be able to uh, fill these emerging markets. Yeah, we've got everything there. We've got great soil, great farmers, great researchers. Um, just unlock the industry and let it go. That's what I reckon. No, that's it. And if you look at any other industry, um, you know, your, your grains, your cotton, your just anything. We, you know, we, we really lead the world in a lot of areas. And I can't see why this couldn't be just like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, I mean, <clears throat> you know, uh, transporting seed from like in Victoria, that, that, these stupid regulations. Are, I mean, if a bag of industrial hemp seed goes missing, what, how is that going to hurt anyone? <laughs> you know, like uh, it's, it just doesn't make sense how they're sort of, you know, getting so paranoid about the whole thing when there's nothing to it. No. Um, keep the bloody, yeah, keep the marijuana in the box, you know, um, yep. keep it under wraps, but the rest of the crop, you know, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure any riffraff that, today. I was going to say, I'm sure any riffraff that break into a hemp crop will uh, 
workouts not getting them anywhere pretty quick. It's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had we had we had some trials down here at um, Prospect in Launceston. Uh, uh, the Tasmanian Institute of Ag was was running them, and and I, I, I'm sure it was juveniles who knew, knew no better, but um, they cut a hole through the fence and then went and pulled a few heads and. I mean, it's not going to get them anywhere. Um, and, you know, some people were, oh, that's no, that's terrible. That's awful for the industry. And I said, well, no, it's actually good because they didn't compromise the integrity of the trial. But we're, it gave us an opportunity to put up in big lights. Um, these idiots uh, are not going to get anywhere because it's industrial mm. hemp. And, uh, and, and it gave us an opportunity to highlight some education points throughout the community about industrial hemp. Yeah. That's a good way to make a, a positive out of what could have otherwise been a negative. So if um, yeah, if people want to grow hemp or learn more about the industry, where do you recommend they go? Well, if you if they go onto the Australian Hemp Council website and you just Google Australian Hemp Council, there are links to the various state organisations. And uh, I would suggest that that's the place that you start. Um, talk to your state organisation and, and they know what the regulations are and they can, in uh, conjunction with the State Department of Ag, be able to give you information on, you know, where to go. The guys, the, the representatives we've got on the Australian Hemp Council, and there's one for each state and the Northern Territory, they really do know their stuff. Um, guys and ladies, sorry. Um, so um, that's a good place to start. And uh, also you like, if, yeah, especially, they, they could probably direct you to the correct people in the Department of Ag and um, get you um, tooled up to be able to understand what the best process is as far as that goes, going uh, to produce hemp, to grow a crop of hemp. Oh, that's good. And of course, if they want to try some hemp products, there's the uh, the Tassie Hemp Shop. You can you try a bit of uh, hemp flour, uh, hemp oil, and um, I think I even saw a hemp deodorant when I caught up with you down there at the markets in Hobart. <laughs> yeah, we got a we we're only um, our family business. We're only small, and um, but we do have an online presence. Um, you know, we're sort of jostling in there with the corporates, of course. But um, yeah, we just uh, we we like to make sure make sure that we've got uh, the best quality product that you can find, and um, anyone in Australia can purchase it online pretty easily. Um, and we yeah we've got a presence um, in retail in Tasmania, and we're looking to head north and get some distribution going up there. We've got our systems in place where we can ramp up production pretty quickly and easily. And um, yeah, the key the key thing is that quality of product. Um, yeah, because that's the only way we can compete um, as as a business in that space. So yeah, and uh, you know, if anyone's uh, looking for any product, um, you know, healthy product, um, they can get in touch. <laughs> To the Tassie Hemp Shop. That's <laughs> uh, good. We'll uh, I'll link to it in the um, in the show notes, along with the uh, the Australian Hemp Industry Council. There. Um, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, that'll be great. Yep. Awesome. Oh, well, thanks for your time, Tim. 
Uh, I'm sure you've got a bit to do do down there, get back to the, the cattle and the potatoes and everything else. I don't know. Is it when is the potato season? Is is that now? Oh, we've ours done. Yeah, yeah, they're harvesting at the moment, but ours always come out a little early. Um, our yields weren't that encouraging. We only did about 55 tonne to the hectare, which is, you know, um, not not what we're looking for. We, we budget for 60 and aim for 70, but um, on the cattle front, we've just had a, it's just, we bought a bunch of wieners and um, some of them are, I don't know what's going on. There's um, bovine, some sort of bovine disorder. It's a, I think it's a virus, a bit like COVID, I suppose, going through the mob. And some of them develop into pneumonia. We've got pink eye and it's mm. just, it's just been a real pain in the butt. Um, we've had to, yeah, we've been treating cattle uh, every couple of days, you know, uh, sort of administering stuff. And it's just, it's not what you normally expect. Uh, you buy a bunch of wieners and, you get them to settle down and hopefully yeah, that they just start putting on weight. Well, these ones have just been challenged a bit. And um, anyway, we're fighting our way through this um, process and uh, hopefully in another few weeks, they'll be settled down. Oh, no. But it's just one of the many, one of the many farming challenges we find. Yeah, no, I know exactly what that's like. I, um, I lost Oh, four of them last year to pneumonia in a just really cold, wet winter. And then um, oh, yeah. this year's calves, we had three of them develop joint illness, which, um, again, just from calving in the wet, they can get an infection through the umbilical cord. <laughs> and the, the yeah. vet said yeah. it's it's incredibly rare to ever see a case, let alone three on one place. <laughs> so yeah. anyway. Yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. You, you can't win them all, but. No, that's good. Thanks for your time, and I'll um I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, good on you, Martin, and uh, thanks for the podcast. And hopefully, um, it'll it'll help extend the education and understanding on industrial hemp. Um, I hope I've sort of explained it okay. No, it's been great. So that was my interview with Tim Schmidt, farmer and president of the Australian Hemp Council. Hope you took a lot out of it. I know it was a very detailed, in-depth conversation, but I find different crops fascinating. And so I found this really, really interesting. And I know I definitely took a lot out of it. And I'm hoping you guys did as well. So let me know what you think. As I said in the show, we've linked to both the Australian Hemp Council and the Tassie Hemp Shot in the show notes below. On top of that, you want to check out that mad-looking harvester that we were talking about, uh, head over to the In The Paddock Facebook page or the In The Paddock Podcast Instagram. It's up there on both of them. It's a wild-looking bit of gear. It's really interesting. And if you love machinery, you'll love to have a look at it. I'll see if I can track down a video as well and put that up there as well. So thanks again for listening through to the end. And as always, please like, share, subscribe. If you really enjoyed it, let a mate know. Leave a review. And until next time, keep at it.